and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, and welcome to week 13. Our reading was Joshua chapters 12 through 24 and Judges 1 through 7. Approximate timeline is 1405 to 1169 BC, which is 236 years. Hello, everyone. I am so glad you're on this journey with me. If you are new, welcome. If you have any questions on how the podcast is laid out, you can listen to my introduction episode. And everyone is welcome to go to my website, bmepodcast.com, to drop me a note, ask any question, or just get up to date on the podcast with the resources I have there, including links to all of my pop culture references in case I confuse you. I'm really good at that. Oh, anyway, I am super excited for this episode. I mm, I love what we're reading. So you're just going to jump right into it. Um, in Joshua chapters 12 and 13, we start off on a high note as we see all the kings defeated by the Israelites. And then God calls Joshua old. Now, as someone who has just turned 40, this both feels like an attack and gave me the best belly laugh because if God says you're old, you're old. It's like worse than a kid calling you old. But he also goes on to say that there was more Joshua needed to do. So I think the lesson is that it doesn't matter how old you are. God can and will still use you. But dang. And I'm not sure if you've ever felt the Lord is trying to get your attention. But while this chapter may not be specifically for you in this moment... Keep it in your heart until it is. For me, however, this is speaking my language because we meet up with Caleb, who tells Joshua, I was 40 years old when I went to see the land that Moses told me to and that I was given the inheritance for, and I'm still as strong and physically able as I was back then. So with God's help, I'll take the people sitting on my inheritance and drive them out. And Joshua, having just been told he is old himself, is like, yeah, go for it. Or at least that's how I imagine it. And then uh, chapter 15 is probably best read looking at a map. But since that is hard to describe in a podcast, here are the highlights. Caleb did what he said. He got his inheritance of land. And since he married his daughter off to the man who helped him, at her request, he gave her more land. And then there is a gem at the end. Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with them, with the people of Judah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I kind of imagine the Jebusites as Ned Flanders. I do the Heidi Ho neighbor, but I'm terrible with voices. So then in chapter 16 and 17, we get more into the territories uh, that the different tribes were given. And we see Joseph clan is a bit miffed because they got a puny lot. But Joshua's like, hey, you have more. You just have to clear the forest and take the land. To which they balked and were like, "Uh, the people there have chariots of iron. And Joshua's like, and you guys are many and strong. You should have no issue. Uh, Personally, I think Joshua's kids probably heard that same thing several times. And in 18 and 19, Uh, Joshua ends up getting a bit annoyed at the other tribes. Like, why have you not gone out and fought and gotten your land? You had permission. You had the people. The power of God was on your side. What gives? 
The others fought for theirs. So he comes up with a plan and the other tribes get to work on fulfilling their inheritance. Even Joshua gets what he was promised. And then we see that the city of refuge were not, cities of refuge were not forgotten and were created. Then the Levites were set up in certain cities since they would be priests over the land, but would not receive a land inheritance because they get to live off the sacrifices. And then in 22, the fighting is done and Joshua tells the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh they fulfilled their duties. They can go home with all of their plunder. But on the way, they decide to build an imposing altar near the Jordan. And all of Israel are like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like, we literally just finished battle that the Lord help us win. And you want to build an altar to a false, false god? Are you kidding us? God's going to come after you and we're all going to get punished. And the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Nasa is like, whoa, dude, calm down. We built this not as an altar for sacrifice, but as an altar to show what God has done for us and that we are still a part of the Israelites, even though our territory is further from you. It's to show our children that we have God to praise and thank. Like, seriously, God strike us dead if that isn't the truth. And it was the truth. So, kids, what did we learn? That you should ask yes, but don't assume. And say it with me, as assuming makes an ass out of you and me. Then at the end of Joshua, chapters 23 and 24, Joshua is getting the people ready uh, because he is getting really old at this point in time. And he is about to uh, kick off this mortal coil. Uh, before he goes, he has some words. He tells them to be strong and brave, just like God told him. And then he turns to the people and tells them they have to follow God. Now they say they will. And he's like, yeah, God's not kidding. If you rebel against him, it will go sincerely bad for you. And the people are like, yeah, we get it. And pledge to follow God. And Joshua's like, uh, good. But if you turn away, this is your witness against yourself. And they're like, yeah, we heard you the first time. And Joshua's like, okay. And so off he goes to be with the Lord. And then we get into Judges. And we learn the backstory of things that happen right before Joshua dies with God telling the tribe of Judah to go and fight. And they do. And as we see this tale, it starts to unravel as the tribe of Manasseh did not do what God had originally commanded and destroyed the wicked people. And they allowed them to live. Yeah, I think we've been reading enough to know this was not a good thing. Uh, with Joshua gone, we see another generation that grows up but was not taught about the Lord, so they forsook God and their ancestors. So God allows raiders to come and take them away and was not with them when they would fight. And because they still refuse to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways, God's like, fine, I won't drive those other nations out, but use them to test Israel. And then in chapter 3, we learn that one of the ways God uses the evil nations to test is to help Israel become better at fighting, which they will need. So we see the different nations on how God used them, and we see each time someone gets them, the Israelites repent and cry up for help. A pattern I know I'm familiar with, you might be familiar with too. Just going to take note here. 
And then we get to chapters four and five and we get to talk about Deborah. And I love Deborah. She's one of my favorites. And she was one of the judges that God had appointed. And she calls for Barak to fight as the Lord had commanded. Barak is like, I don't know about this. And Deborah's like, God has this. Go and you will be successful. And still Barak hesitates and says, if Deborah will go with him, he will go. And she says, fine, but you're not going to get any of the glory. That will be that will be given to a woman. And Barak is like, don't care. I'm not going by myself. So Deborah goes with him. And they do defeat the army, but the king, Sisera, 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 flees to a woman named Jael, who tends to him because of her alliance between her husband and him. And then when Sisera was sleeping, she goes over to him and drives a tent peg right through his skull. Goodbye, Sisera. And just after that, Brock comes looking for Sisera and Jael is like, yeah, come over here. I have him for you. And then we get a beautiful song about the Lord from Barack and Deborah. Duh, love that story. You go, Deborah and JL. And then we get to chapter six and seven. And chapter, so, little Kelly personal note. So, uh, not a side note, but a personal note. Um, I have the verse Judges 6.12 tattooed on my foot. It's on the side of my foot. And the reason is, is that my birthday is 6.12, June 12th. And my name Kelly means warrior in Gaelic. And verse 6.12 says, I am with you, mighty warrior. And so it's very special to me. And I deeply love Gideon and I love this story. And not just because of my tattoo, but um, Gideon and I... I get Gideon a lot, and we'll get further into that a little bit down the story, but love, <laughs> this is a very special one for me. So, here we go. So, the Midianites were testing Israel at this point, and it was so bad that the Israelites dwelled in caves. They're, that's all their land, but they're dwelling in caves because they're not messing with the Midianites. That's how bad they were. And... When the angel finds Gideon, he is grinding wheat in a wine press. And that would, on a larger scale than this, but it would be like using a mortar and pestle to ground your coffee. Sure, it works, but it takes more time and doesn't have the full results you would want. And Gideon was eh, a scaredy cat. Um, although I don't really like that word because having lived with my sister's cat, Peyton, I don't believe cats are all that scared of things. Just saying. But I digress. Anyway, he was being wimpy. And he was not only using a wine press for the threshing of wheat, but he was doing it at night and super quiet. So the Midianites did not know he was even there. And furthermore, he didn't have a great view of himself either. As he tells the angel, how can I save us? I'm of the weakest tribe, of the weakest family, of the weakest member. Like, I am the weakest of all the people. But. The angel insists, and so Gideon sacrifices to God, and then, in a rather huge act of bravery for him, although he did do it at night so no one saw him, but still, cut down the Baal Asherah pole. A uh, quick side note on the Asherah poles, as they will be mentioned from here on out. Scholars are not entirely sure if they were actual poles or trees that were carved. What is known is that they would have the fertility, that they were for the fertility goddess Asherah. Um, 
not much is known as to what was carved, but since it was to the fertility goddess, we can imagine that some probably had a more sexual note to them. And they were worshipped and set up near altars, which was a big no-no when it comes to God. Um, of course, so that endeth a side, side note on the Asher pole. So uh, people were upset when they saw this Asher pole cut down. And that was not only our God, but they would have, that would have been a lot of work. So he just cut down their work and their God. And they a little miffed. Uh, but Gideon's dad comes to the rescue and says, don't you think Baal can defend himself? If he is that strong, let him. And this allowed Gideon to leave and test God with dew and fleece to make sure what God was telling him was real. Now, I love the story of the dew and the fleece. And it's at some point, I don't know if you've read it more than once, but at some point you're like, dude, clearly the answer is yes. But as somebody who's still not entirely sure, sometimes I wish I could do this test with God just to like quadruple make sure and then sometimes I ask for a two by four and yet never get to do any of it of course I don't know what I'd do if a two by four hit me in the head I have had a softball hit me in the head once and that hurt like no one's business I was stunned I've also been hit like face in the face with a volleyball um and I was stunned by it it wasn't as hurt but I was stunned and then my coach who is is a great man. But anyway, the coach at the time could not stop laughing. All that to say, I don't know that I want God to really answer the two by four. Anyway, so chapter seven, <laughs> we get, we get back to, to Gideon here. And, um, and this is where I really relate with Gideon. Uh, he is about to go against this terrifying army <laughs> After all, he was threshing wheat in a wine press and the people were scared. I mean, they were scared enough of these people to live in caves. So, you know, he, he's not completely wrong in his fear of them. And he he gets some men, not a ton for battle, but a good chunk. And each time God is like, yeah, no, that's that's still too many. Until the point of ridiculousness when there is only 300 left. But God has a plan, and so they take their jars and trumpets, and with great justice, as only God can do, they literally scare the snot out of the Midianites. Such delicious victory and justice. Mwah! And a beautiful way to end this episode. I know. Ho, ho, ho. We're getting into more. Uh, I look forward to going through next week's reading with you. Uh, again, if you want to discuss or have questions, drop me a comment at bmepodcast.com. Have a most fabulous time until we meet again in the next episode. Bye. <laughs>